I'm Glenn Crooks, and this is On Frame. Before an exuberant group of supporters at Belson Stadium on Wednesday night, the New York City Football Club won their first U.S. Open Cup match in five tries, a convincing 4 to nothing triumph over USL championship side North Carolina FC. They're under the direction of the former interim coach of the U.S. men's national team, Dave Sarakin. Sarakin spent 13 months in that interim position before Greg Berhalter was named a permanent replacement for Bruce Arena, who Sarakin assisted for 22 years at the collegiate, professional, and international levels. With thoughts on Berhalter, Arena, and North Carolina's bid for a spot at MLS, my chat with Dave Sarakin coming up. Also today, U.S. Women's National Team defender Kelly O'Hara from an interview on Media Day in New York City just before the final send-off match for the World Cup. So there'll be no mention of the 13-0 result over Thailand in the first group game, but some interesting thoughts from the veteran O'Hara who adjusted from prolific goal scorer to a position at the back. At St. John's University on Wednesday, historic win for NYCFC, their first triumph in a U.S. Open Cup match, uh, with a round of 16 date now set at D.C. United next Wednesday, June the 19th. With just 15 players available for the match, head coach Dome Tarant went with a younger group that included 21-year-old Keaton Parks, 19-year-old Juan Pablo Torres, and 17-year-old Justin Hack, plus hometown guy Danny Bedoya. He's 25. Torres, Hack, and Bedoya making their city debuts. Here's Tehran after the match. You know, I'm very happy, especially for the players uh, start to play today. Uh, Danny Bedoya, JP, uh, Keaton, uh, they play really well. And I was sure because uh, when I say uh, they deserve to play because they, they train very, very hard every single day, was about that because uh, I have confidence with this player. The, the shame for me, uh, like a coach, is uh, I have to, to choose the 11, not uh, 18 players, but everybody deserves to play because they have quantity. In particular, the third homegrown signed by New York City FC, Brooklyn-born Justin Hack, who got the loudest ovations from the 2,000-plus on Wednesday, plus the support of his coach. Uh, I decided to play with Justin. It's not uh, because uh, I want to show our fans we have a new player. It's because uh, he deserves to play and he uh, will be an important player. He's a similar Jimmy last, last year. It's the same, the same feeling. Next, the decision on the squad and the starting 11 at DC United. Have the non-regulars earned another chance to show? Maybe. It depends. They deserve to play, but uh, the other players deserve to play as well. Maybe I can play with the mix, you know, two or three players play today and maybe play different players because ever Mitri and, and Isma was in the bench and maybe they uh, will play next next game. I don't know. It's, it's about, I say many times, it's about my feeling in the last uh, not the last uh, training session, in the, in the last week before the game. And I, I will try to, to choose the right players to play the next game. The next match at DC United, where NYCFC registered a convincing 2 to nothing win, part of the 10-game unbeaten string in MLS, the longest active streak in the league. And you know that Parks and Torres are anxious to get another opportunity. Torres and NYCFC debutante on Wednesday, and Parks... 
He had only 55 total minutes this season entering the North Carolina match. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's always it's always good to play a 90 and, and to get more in shape. I mean, that's this is our job, and it's hard when you're not playing games consistently. So uh, it's it's good for all of us to get a 90 under our belt, and then next week, hopefully, we we can play again and get a full 90 and win that game. And then if he if we get an opportunity in the league, we get an opportunity, and we'll we'll have to take advantage of that. But I mean, it's up to Dome, and, and we're just doing our job whenever we get the opportunity. Parks had a brace in this one to seal the victory. His first goal in a city kit courtesy of a delivery from his roommate and his best friend on the team, J.P. Torres. I was joking with him a little bit uh, when we were celebrating, saying you're welcome for, for, uh, for his first goal. But, you know, it was, it was nice. Keen's, uh, he's an easy guy to hit. Indeed, Parks at six foot three and the headed finish. So what would have happened if Parks had missed the empty net? I would have given him a stick. For sure, I would have given him a stick if he would have missed that sitter. Because that would have been my first assist, so, so yeah. Definitely would have given him something for that. For sure, yeah, I would have got... I would have heard, heard about it every day for, the, for at least a week. Well, they transferred from European clubs within a week of each other in late January to join New York City. That's Keaton Parks and Juan Pablo Torres. Prior to the match last Wednesday, I had a conversation with the North Carolina FC coach. Dave Sarakin is the former Chicago Firehead coach, longtime assistant under Bruce Arena, both on the collegiate level, then with DC United and LA Galaxy and uh, joined Arena with the U.S. Men's National Team and then was the interim manager uh, of the full team prior to the hiring of Greg Berhalter in December of 2018, named head coach at North Carolina FC, playing in the USL Championship, and an MLS hopeful franchise. And they'll play a current MLS side, New York City FC, in the fourth round of the U.S. Open Cup Wednesday at Belsom Stadium on the campus of St. John's University. Welcome in, Dave Sarakin. Dave, how are you? Hi, Glenn. I'm very, very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And you're a Northeast guy, uh, born in Rochester, played for the Rochester Lancer. So uh, do you like coming to, back to this part of the country? I love it. I love it. You know, it's you can never get it out of your system. Uh, I still have family. My 94-year-old mom's still in Rochester. So whenever I uh, can get up there, I, I certainly make that effort. But being on the East Coast again uh, is, is really great. I've, I've enjoyed it so far. So good. All right, well, USL versus MLS. So this is a match, and I saw on uh, the Twitter page of your club's account that uh, over the years, six wins over MLS teams. So I'm just curious, now that you're on this uh, surge to hopefully getting a franchise, does a game like this have a little bit more importance? Well, first let me reference the three wins they had were against my LA Galaxy teams. <laughs> the, the NC, yeah, North Carolina Football Club. So... Um, it's painful reminders, but it's also ter terrific. That's what the U.S. Open Cup is about. And, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer that whenever you can play great teams and, and great comp uh, opposition, it, it just helps your team and your development as a collective and also for our young players. So just the opportunity to play uh, New York City Football Club uh, on many levels means a lot. And then to your point, um, I, I don't look at this as an audition for the ambition of our club. I think uh, we, we've uh, established ourselves in the landscape of, of the country in terms of, uh, of, of a club with a youth to pro development and, and bringing along a number of guys. And, you know, if, if uh, we get to a point where Major League Soccer is a viable option, I think it would be a terrific market and, and we'd be ready for it. Can you give us a little scouting report on your team, uh, your most recent game, 3-1 over uh, Tampa Bay? I saw there were three shots on target 
and three goals. Very efficient. <laughs> well, we worked on that all week. We, said we want three shots and three goals, and it it, it, it came to fruition. Yeah. No. Uh, look, I think I think uh, Tampa arguably is one of the, the the best teams in the league by far, and they uh, they were very good on the day, and we were very good on the day, and we were fairly clinical in our finishing, and um, I think. Uh, it was a good it was a good uh, precursor to what we'll face certainly on Wednesday against a strong uh, New, York, New York City team. Uh, and so our guys, uh, I think, are going to be ready for that. I saw one name on the roster that was a little familiar. I think he had a, a, a bit of a trial or, or maybe a spell with the, the New York Red Bulls, Dre Fortune, who has scored a couple of goals for you. Yeah, Dre, uh, Dre uh, had a, obviously a very good game against Tampa. He's He's a young guy, and keep in mind, you know, this is my first year, so I, it's taken me some time to get to know the, the, the current, well, the guys from last year and obviously the group that, of players that I brought in. But uh, throughout the last six to eight weeks, uh, a guy like Dre has really pushed himself along uh, into the conversation to be a starter for us. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a good young player. He's, he's technical. He's got a good IQ. Uh, he sees things uh, pretty early. And, uh, I was pleased for him on the day, and, and uh, he's got uh, still a lot of, of good soccer ahead of him. Uh, Dave Sarakin, your path to North Carolina, uh, you've had such a vast experience uh, starting at the collegiate level and moving on into the professional ranks, U.S. men's national team. Um, a lot of those years were spent as an assistant to Bruce Arena. I'm curious what your reaction was when you knew that he was uh, back in MLS now in the New England Revolution. Well, my reaction was was uh, it, I, I did it didn't shock me. Uh, you know, I know Bruce as well as anyone, and uh, he still got it in him. You know, to uh, to be uh, a guy that is is behind the scenes and in, in, in on the front lines in terms of uh, you know obviously coaching, but building and, and being a manager and. He wasn't ready to uh, ride into the sunset, obviously, and I think you know I'm happy for Bruce. He's a good friend, and you know I think it's a it's a it's a project that's going to take some time for him there. But I think uh, he's excited about doing that, so uh, I was pleased for him. Uh, here's a coaching education question: Why are you so good together as partners in this? Because there's been uh, you know without going over each and every aspect of it, there's been massive success trophies but what are what are some of the keys to that yeah that's a that's a good question you know i've been asked that a lot because every stop we've had we've we've won uh and uh you know i get it's kind of funny people have teased me saying well he can't be successful in new england without you there right (laughs) but 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 i think i think it's it's um it's just a good combination where where bruce has his strengths and weaknesses i have my strengths and weaknesses and it sort of blends together and you know the the areas where he may uh, he may let a few things fall through the cracks. That's areas that that I sort of pick up and, and vice versa. So I think it's a it, it's sort of a symbiosis that way where um, uh, together we're a pretty formidable uh, 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 duo uh, covering the bases that needed to be covered in a way that uh, brings a team along. So it's it's a combination of that. Um, and I, I've often said he. He has a good eye for talent, so you know, bringing bring, bringing me into into the fold, uh, he, he knew he knew what he was doing. Well, as as an assistant for that long, you really have to be a loyal guy because I would imagine you don't you don't agree with every one of his decisions, right? That's true. No, no, that that's all part of it, and I think that is part of what makes it work. Is that uh, you know, I uh, 
I, he doesn't want a yes guy and he wants a guy that's going to challenge him. And I think as an assistant, and this is a good coaching education piece for anybody that's an assistant, I think that's the important piece to it, that you have to be in a position where you feel strongly about something. You're going to voice it. You're going to, uh, you know, be a guy that is not a yes man. And, and, and ultimately the head coach has the final say. And I think, you know, there were many, many, many moments with Bruce and I where we disagreed. Uh, but at the, the the final outcome usually was a positive one. Dave, uh, your job as the interim manager, which it, it, it took, uh, it was over a year that you were in that position, but it was pretty well defined as uh, the ability to get some of the youth involved. I think you had 23 first-time uh, uh, capped players along the way. Were you happy with that outcome as you came out, out the door? Uh, and then uh, into the North Carolina door? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to define happy, but what I would say is this, um, you know, 13 months on the job where there was a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of people with a lot of opinions. Uh, I think my role over the 13 months was very clear. And that was to reestablish our national team on a, on a, on a level that uh, people would be proud of, but at the same time, uh, using the year to let everybody sort of, and when I say everybody, not just the public, but the, the, whoever the management would have been coming in to get a sense of where some of these young guys are because they are the future and they are going to be a part of the next cycle. Uh, I didn't have anybody at U.S. Soccer telling me who to play and who to call in. It was my call with my staff. And I think looking back on it, uh, I, I think it's, you know, the proof's in the pudding. I think we vetted a lot of young players that got good experience and good games that I think will be a part of our national team uh, for a long time. So I look back on it as a, uh, an honor for me to do it. I think it was successful from the standpoint of uh, vetting some players. And, and now, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Well, you have a franchise to manage now, but I'm going to assume that you're uh, still watching uh, the U.S. men's national team perform. You got the darts already being tossed at the Greg Burhalter uh, pictures uh, over the last two friendlies, Jamaica and Venezuela. Is it the public's reaction? Uh, do you consider that unfair? No, it's ridiculous. I mean, people, uh, I often say this, Glenn, people on the outside have no idea what goes on on the inside. <clears throat> and this is a process. Uh, you can't expect uh, immediacy in, in, in a process. It's going to take time. And let's keep in mind, uh, we're missing a few decent players that those two games with Pulisic and Adams and on and on. So it's going to look a lot different. Greg is a guy that's, uh, is going to bring this group along. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a player's game. And do we have the players to produce the goods? Time will tell, but it's a way too early for people to start going, going a little bit nutty uh, about this now you know losing to jamaica and venezuela is not what we're used to that that is fair so criticism is always going to be there and, and that's just part of it but let, let's let it play out a little bit yeah i, I mentioned earlier uh, dave uh, the the experience that you've had on the collegiate level at uva with bruce uh, on the professional level on the international level and it's it's been for many years and, and so you've seen this whole thing progress. Can you give us just a, what your outlook on development is at this point and uh, where you see it going? That's a, I know that's a loaded question, but please do your best. <laughs> yeah, well, in a nutshell, I mean, I started 
years years back when uh, a lot of these programs didn't exist, the evolution of, of, of club soccer, the evolution of the development academy, the evolution of, you know, players leaving uh, college early, the pl- players bypassing college, the uh, the ability for, for players now to have access, uh, whether it's to soccer on television every day of the week versus and, and the training they're getting, everything has moved in a progressive line. And so um, we're certainly not there where we need to be. But I think I think it's pretty clear that the, 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 the young players and players in general uh, have the platform now to really push themselves to another level. And, and many of uh, my, I've always believed that, um, you know, you're a product of your environment. So when players ask me, should I stay here or should I go there? My answer is always, if you have the ability to play and, and be a part of the team on a regular basis, that's your, that's the choice you make. So it doesn't mean that it's always uh, gravy when you leave for overseas, it's gotta be the right thing. But generally I think, uh, we're moving in a, in a, in a, it's come a long way since the early days when I first started. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, 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 it's pretty positive. Yeah. And you've been to a lot of different countries and you, you feel like the, the, uh, the boys are getting exposed to the culture of the game, which uh, is a word that's often utilized in terms of where, what we lack a little bit. It's the, the culture of the game is not inside of us. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the whole package, uh, from the training to the culture to the environment to the to the pressure, y- you name it. Uh, it. It's 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 grown so much that uh, it, it's making it a lot more real uh, to young players now when they do have to be pushed. And so it's all it's all moving in a good direction. And how about the direction uh, for an MLS franchise in North Carolina? How do you feel about that? Well, I think it would be terrific. I think we, we have a great market. I think we're, we'd have great rivalry. We have ambitious ownership. So, you know, we check a lot of boxes. And uh, I think uh, I think it would be a great region to, to bring a team in. I really do. Well, you were first a head coach at MLS in 2002 with the Chicago Fire. Maybe it'll happen again in North Carolina, Dave. I, I thank yeah. you so much for sharing with us today, and uh, and good luck with everything. Well, I appreciate it, Glenn. Thank you. It was a difficult night for his side on Wednesday. Back to the business of the USL Championship and the quest for a spot in MLS. The World Cup well underway with two of the tournament favorites, the U.S. Women's National Team and the host nation, France, looking quite secure in the early going. France, they've won their first two Group A matches while the U.S. annihilated Thailand in their Group F opener 13 to nothing. Before the U.S. women departed for France, I sat with veteran defender Kelly O'Hara in this, her third World Cup. So, Kelly, uh... I wonder how you, you're now nine years into the program. I think you made your debut uh, in 2010, World Cup the next year, pretty young at that time. Now you're this, I think you're 30. I am 30. Thank you for reminding me. That's okay. <laughs> you don't feel it, though, do you? Nah, next question. <laughs> <laughs> what, are, what are the tangible differences when you entered the program and played in that uh, World Cup in 2011 yeah. to now? I mean, when I went into the 2011 World Cup, first of all, I didn't make the team flat out in the beginning. I actually got cut um, and then ended up going as a replacement for Lindsay Tarpley. She got injured in one of the send-off games. So um, I went to that 20, the 2011 World Cup as 
very green and very much knowing that my place was on the bench as a cheerleader and as a practice player. And I was perfectly fine with that. Um, and I ended up going in one game. And at that point, I probably had couldn't have had more than 10 caps. I might have had seven or something. And um, I was very, very nervous, did not play well, and it was kind of a disaster. Um, but it was a great experience to be a part of because I got to see what a World Cup was like. And um, I think that prepared me a lot and just that, that made me grow up a lot as a player and um, really propelled me in my career. So I feel very different than I did, uh, what, eight years ago. Now you go on to the next World Cup in 2015, uh, different circumstances for you individually and for for the team. But before we leave 2011, and I spoke to somebody recently, uh, that's the Abbey goal against Brazil in the semifinals. But you lost in penalties to Japan. You did. But I I know players have talked about coming home and people congratulating them Mm -hmm. because they thought you won because of the publicity that yeah, goal I don't, got. I don't think they thought we won. I think that they were just, I think we sparked excitement for women's soccer um, that maybe had been laying dormant for a while because that was the farthest we had gone in, in the World Cup since, I think, 1999 when they won. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit weird because it, it, people were acting like, we should be excited, um, and they were excited, and we were all bummed out. So yeah, it was a little strange coming back to that. Now you go to 2015, and it didn't start out well. No. <laughs> I mean, there, it was. I don't know how you felt. I don't know how the team felt, but the, the fact that you, you galvanized and, and and recovered from that, and then win it. What yeah. did that mean? Yeah, I just think it goes to show that this team has a lot of grit to it, and we are the type of people who are just going to gut it out. Um, it's no secret that we didn't play well in the first couple games in 2015, but that was okay. We figured out a way to win, you know, and whether it was pretty or not, we were just bound and determined to win. And I actually love that about this team. Now, one of your two goals out of your 117 <laughs> caps was in that World Cup. Yes, I don't score often, but when I do, it's at the World Cup. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you about that because your whole – you're you're growing up and you're on the club level, youth level, then at Stanford, uh, and then with the U twenties. I, I think you're one of the top all time scorers with the U twenties. Yeah. You're the top all time scorer at Stanford, I think, or did Press uh, surpass she, she you? Probably surpassed me. Okay, but I'm somewhere. We're close. You're in there. Yeah. So at, at, so noted as a goal scorer and come in that way into the into the senior team. Where did it all change? What what where, coach where did identified? Where did it all go wrong? Well, <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Uh, it's been great. Uh, <laughs> Pia, after 2011, um, in the fall of 2011, came up to me and said, if you want to make the Olympic team in 2012, it's going to be as a fullback. How do you feel about that? And I said, well, let's get started then because we got, you know, some some, thi- some things to work on. Uh, but, yeah, it was that was her decision um, back in the fall of 2011 and started training then and um, – by 2012 in the Olympics was starting left back, I think, at that point. Um, and so it, it, to you, is a matter of, well, if this is what I have to do to play, this is what I'm going to do. But still yeah. switching off from you know, the mentality of I'm a goal scorer to now more preventing For sure. It's a, very, it's a different mentality in the sense of you do one thing right as a forward and you're the hero for the game. You do one thing wrong as a defender and you are – the person that everyone screams at on Twitter. Um, so it's a very different mindset. It, it, it taught me a lot, and I think that it helped to 
evolved me as a player and I feel much more well-rounded and versatile um, in going through that transition. Um, yeah, it taught me – like I never actually stood on that part of the field in that position and played out, you know, in that position – played out of the back that sort of thing so it was very interesting and in, in a, in a mentality change as well and just the fact that I had to be turned on locked in 100% of the game for 90 plus minutes and not to say that I wasn't as a forward but it was kind of like again you do one thing right you bang in a goal you're good to go for the day but as a defender you got to be on the whole time how, how long did it take you to to feel comfortable feel like you were really effective on both sides of the ball you know what whatever your responsibilities were um I felt I felt pretty comfortable in 2012 once we got to the Olympics, you know, leading up to that, probably like a month before I started to feel good and it was it was it was a learning experience. There was a learning curve to go along with it, but yeah, once we got to London, um I felt really good and and in between 2012 and 2015, there was some back and forth um in terms of positionally, when Jill first took over the team, she was like, I don't see you as a defender. I see you only as an attacker. So kind of went through that. But then she was like, no, actually, you're a defender. Um, so it was kind of, you know, back and forth. And I, I feel like in those years, I played a lot of different positions, even after 2015 for club. You know, I would find myself on the front line or in the back, um, whatever. The I game recall Sky for. Blue games where you make start in the back and then they yeah, needed a goal late exactly. or something so and you'd move yeah, forward, right? It's kind of yeah. like you're going to be on the field. We're not sure where. Um, and with Utah now, have you you've played yeah, both actually, as well, yeah. right? Yeah, so it's, it's kind of been uh, it's a blessing and a curse to be versatile. But like, like you said, if the coach tells me to do something or asks me to play a position or, you know, gives me a role, I'll do it. That's what the team needs. So as we look ahead uh, and look at this this event, the 2019 World Cup, U.S. Women's National Team, number one in the world, there are a lot of questions about the back area. New mm-hmm. goalkeeper, some less experienced uh, people at the back, uh, but you and Becky not included in there. So what responsibility do you feel to maybe – quiet if there are any critics that's not the most important thing but it's being effective and and being organized how do you think that is uh, as you uh, enter this um I mean I think people are asking questions about the back line and the defense and the in the keeper situation but it's like this is a whole new team from 2015 this is not the same team and you know Alex Pino Tobin didn't play as a front three in 2015 so it's kind of like people are focusing on certain things and you could focus on any area of the team and be like, it's different because it is, it's a brand new team. We haven't done anything yet as this squad, as this 23 players and we have a lot to prove. So for me, it's, uh, it's about proving what this team is worth and what we're made of and what we have the ability to do. Um, but to answer your question in terms of the back line, what I bring or what I try to bring is just consistency and um, calm, but also, a little bit of swagger, you know, I think that I, I was telling somebody a couple months ago, I was like, we got to get our swagger back, you know, like we got to be the back line that no one wants to come up against you. If forward gets on the field, they don't want to be on that field after 90 minutes with us. So um, I kind of try to bring a little bit of swagger when it comes to defending. Because you had Julie Ertz back there with you in 2015, yeah. and now she's more in the midfield. Obviously, yeah. she drops back in, and totally. things like that will occur. So that that's a, a different part of the makeup, too. Yeah, definitely. And she 
JJ gets it done in the middle of the field, especially defensively. Um, she brings a lot of swagger to that line when it comes to just being a hard-nosed player, and she is a key, key element to this team and our success. Can you describe the transformation of the team from 2015 to now? Uh, Jill Ellis talks about that it's you know, you're looking to build more out of the back, which uh, is, is something that would add to your responsibility as well. So how do you describe it? I think that there's just a, they the coaches hold us to a very high they have a very high expectation of the way they want us to play. They want us to play really good soccer and good looking soccer too. But at the end of the day, they want us to win. So they've implemented a lot of different tactical schemes, um, defensive situations, uh, different key pieces that they want us to be really, really good at as a team and. I think that's the difference from 2015. Not that we didn't have certain elements that we were very good at, but uh, it's just a different team. The way we play is different, and the individual makeup of the team is different. Therefore, the overall vibe is different. If uh, the U.S. are to win the World Cup in 2019 in France, what will be the deciding factor? Uh, Probably a goal. Will you score it? <laughs> that would be sick. Um, the deciding factor is going to be if we if we capitalize and reach the potential that we have as a team. I think that we we can win. So you feel strongly you have the best team going in if you reach your potential. Potential. Yeah, I feel very confident. I mean, it's a pretty awesome feeling walking onto the field with the ten other players and then knowing also who's sitting on the bench and able to come in for us. That's Kelly O'Hara, courtesy of the program Stars and Stripes on Sirius XMFC, which I'm co-hosting with former U.S. Women's National Team midfielder Lori Lindsay. Our next show will be Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern prior to USA Chile. And then after the match, we'll give you our reaction and your reaction. If you so choose, you can call in or tweet. That's from 2 to 3 p.m. on Sunday. Sirius XMFC, Channel 157, all month long and through the final on July 7th. Well, that'll do it for this On Frame, presented by Pro Soccer USA. Thanks to Dolme Tarant, Keaton Parks, J.P. Torres, Dave Sarakin, and Kelly O'Hara. A new show every week. This is Glenn Crooks.